Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. Hello, this is Liz Thompson. I'm the CEO at the National Osteoporosis Foundation, and I'm delighted to be with you today talking about osteoporosis. Joining me today is Dr. Ethel Cyrus. She is the Madeline C. Stabile Professor of Medicine at Columbia University Medical Center and the director of the Tony Stabile Osteoporosis Center at Columbia University Medical Center, New York Presbyterian Hospital. Before I talk about Dr. Cyrus's tremendous volunteer leadership at NOF, I want to pause and give a quote from the chairman of our board, Judy Black, and re-emphasize that Dr. Cyrus is an absolute rock star in the world of boneheads and osteoporosis. She's made an incredible contribution to our organization, but equally and probably more important in hundreds of thousands of lives of people as a physician, as a physician researcher, and inspiring young physicians to choose this as a course of study. Now, Dr. Cyrus has been providing volunteer leadership to NOF since 1997. She served as the president from 2005 to 2008, was in an emeritus role, and is again part of the National Board of Trustees. We're so honored to have her with us. So now we're going to start having a few questions and hearing from our esteemed leader. What should every postmenopausal woman understand about osteoporosis? Liz, thank you very much. I think that people have to understand that osteoporosis is a relatively common disease, primarily in women, although men can be affected, in which there is an increasing risk of a major broken bone, typically after a very minor fall, and that that increased risk continues and gets worse as you get older and older. Menopause is a major watershed moment in the development of osteoporosis, because when a woman enters menopause, which is to say when her ovaries produce way, way less estrogen and she stops having menstrual periods, in the absence of that quantity of estrogen that is best for bone health, changes occur in the way bones behave and bone loss begins to happen. When you lose bone, you lose bone strength, not only because you wind up with less bone, but because there's a change in the very architecture of the bone that remains. Bone becomes weaker as we age. Now, not everybody is going to be affected by this. If someone is fortunate to have the genetics that gave them a very big skeleton when they achieve their maximum amount of bone, and if they lose bone very slowly after menopause and everybody loses at different rates, you can get to be pretty old, but hang on to a pretty good skeleton. But for a sizable proportion of women, there will be enough bone loss from perhaps a lesser starting point such that between the ages of 50 and, you know, whenever life ends for us, and about a third of our lives is in the postmenopausal period, during that phase, a substantial number of women are at risk for fractures, and our job is to minimize that risk. So it's a weakening of bone 
that predisposes to very low trauma fractures. We don't want people to break bones. Broken hips can kill us. Broken vertebrae can cause substantial pain, discomfort, and disability that can last for a very long time. And any kind of broken bone is a source of discomfort and cost. So that our goal is to identify people who may be at risk for this condition. And if we find them, do something because we have a lot we can do to prevent those future fractures as best we possibly can. If women or men are diagnosed with osteoporosis, what medications are available and are they safe? There are a number of medications, fortunately, that we can provide to patients and we like to individualize treatment to the given patient, which we now can do because we have a number of options. There's the use of estrogen. Now, estrogen can be used in early postmenopausal women for relief of symptoms. And if women choose to take it, they will block bone loss if the dose is adequate. There are a number of safety concerns with estrogen over the long term, and these include a small increased risk of breast cancer if the estrogen is taken with progesterone, which is necessary if a woman still has her uterus. It is not a drug that's been approved to prevent fractures, but it will prevent bone loss. A second drug that's available is something called raloxifene, the brand name for which is Evista. Raloxifene is the generic and it is available. Raloxifene will prevent bone loss and it will also inhibit the likelihood of a spine fracture. In people at high risk of other types of fractures, including hip fractures or other non-spine, non-hip fractures like wrist or shoulder fractures, raloxifene is not the best choice. It has an advantage in the sense that it also reduces the risk of breast cancer, which is another FDA-approved indication for the drug. So for some women, it's a very good choice. It's a pretty safe drug. It is associated with a very small increased risk of deep vein thrombosis, which is to say a clot in the vein of a leg. This is similar to a risk that is seen with estrogen use. So if a woman has had a previous experience with clots in the veins of the legs, or even the pulmonary embolus, which is where the clot breaks off and goes to the lung, she should not get either estrogen or raloxifene. Raloxifene otherwise is a, you know, quite a safe drug. The risk of clots is quite low. Some people get muscle cramps. Some people get a problem with increased hot flashes if they're relatively close to menopause. But overall, it's a pretty safe drug. The most commonly used drugs for the management of osteoporosis to reduce fracture risk are a group of drugs called bisphosphonates. There are four of them. Three are primarily taken by mouth. They're pill form, and they include uh, a drug called alendronate, which is the generic for Fosamax, the first of the bisphosphonates to be approved in the mid-90s. The second is called risedronate. That's also a pill. And that is uh, the brand name for that is Actinel. The third is a pill called Ibandronate, which is uh, the generic for Boniva. And those three medications are taken either weekly or monthly by mouth, and they are quite effective at lowering the risk of, of fractures. They are uh, generally well tolerated. Occasionally, people will have a little indigestion, and if someone has indigestion that can be related to taking one of these pills it's best to stop and to consider some other therapy. But for most people, these are remarkably safe drugs. 
The fourth bisphosphonate is given by vein, typically once a year for three or more years, and that is called zoledronate, sometimes referred to as zoledronic acid, the brand name for which is Reclast. In terms of safety of the bisphosphonates, there are very, very rare cases where often with too much drug, there can be one of two problems. One of these problems is something called osteonecrosis of the jaw, quite unusual, and this is associated with a recent dental extraction, most commonly. When you have a tooth pulled, the jawbone has to heal, and it usually takes up to six weeks for the gum to reseal the open area of jawbone that the tooth came from. If someone has had a, a large quantity of one of these drugs, more than most of us would use in practice, there is a risk that healing might be impaired, and that can lead to infection of the bone and to a very nasty problem, which is usually easily resolved with time, but it's a problem while you have it. People should not fear to start one of these drugs because of a fear of this condition. Most oral surgeons today are comfortable managing people who need extractions if they're on one of these drugs, particularly if they're taking the drugs the way we recommend that they be taken, which is for a particular course of therapy. The uh, IV is often three to six years, the oral, the pills, typically five years on, and then you stop for a holiday. The holiday may be a year or two, and then if you escape, you may have to go back on the drug. But when you do it that way, the risk of this jaw complication is really very, very small. The other potential risk of taking a bisphosphonate is a very unusual type of thigh bone fracture called an atypical femur fracture. This kind of fracture has also been described in people who've never taken these drugs, but it is associated rarely with, again, long-term use of one of these bisphosphonate drugs. And for that reason, we want to make sure that people understand that there's a tiny risk of this problem, but the risk of a major fracture from osteoporosis itself, if you don't get treated, is much, much greater. And the benefit-risk profile greatly favors use of drugs like bisphosphonates if that's the right drug for a given individual. Another drug that works as do the ones I've just described by blocking bone loss, is a drug that is called generically called denosumab, but it is not yet available as a generic. The brand name is Prolia. Prolia is an injection under the skin called a subcutaneous injection that's given every six months. Prolia is another anti-bone loss drug that's approved by the FDA, as are all the things I've discussed to lower the risk of fracture in people with osteoporosis at fracture risk. And it is a very effective drug. It's generally quite well tolerated. Like the bisphosphonate drugs, there is the same very tiny risk of either osteonecrosis of the jaw or of an atypical femur fracture. But the risk of either of these is really remarkably low. And again, used carefully, a drug like Prolia is very, very safe. One comment about Prolia is that you have to be extremely compliant with Prolia. You must take it every six months. And if you choose to stop or your doctor wants to stop, it's recommended that you get an infusion of zoledronate, that's the IV reclast, six months after the last Prolia shot. 
Otherwise, there can be substantial bone loss when you stop prolia, and that can even lead rarely to fractures. So prolia is an excellent drug, as are the others I've described, but you have to be careful the way you stop it. It is certainly something you can stop, but you have to follow it with an intravenous infusion of Reclast, uh, certainly in my opinion and in the opinions of colleagues who work in this field. There are two more drugs I want to mention, both of which are called anabolic, which means that they work by stimulating bone formation, a little bit different from the other drugs I've described, which work by blocking bone loss. Uh, the two anabolic agents are something called teriparatide, brand name is Forteo, there is not yet a generic, and the other is called abaloparatide, brand name Timlos, again, not yet a generic. These are both drugs that work to stimulate bone formation and require that you give yourself a small injection under the skin every day for 18 months if it's for Timlos or for 18 to 24 months if it's for Forteo. And again, when you finish either of these drugs, when the course of treatment is over, it's important that you follow it with one of the anti-bone loss drugs in order to hang on to the bone improvement that you achieve with either Timlos or Forteo. These are also quite well tolerated, and there have not been major safety issues with either of them. There is a black box warning for both of these drugs on the package insert about the fact that during the clinical trials, when rat toxicity data were gathered, it turned out that in rats, these drugs, which stimulate formation, can increase the risk of certain bone malignancies called osteosarcomas in rats. So far, and we've now had teriparatide for Teos since about 2002, there's zero evidence that human beings are at risk of this type of bone cancer. We certainly don't want to give either of these drugs to people who have other predispositions to bone cancers. For example, people who've gotten radiation therapy, which rarely, rarely years later can cause bone cancers, should not take this drug. There's a condition called Paget's disease of bone, which very rarely leads to osteosarcoma. They should not take this drug. And both of these two drugs, I should say either of these two drugs, are not appropriate for young people whose skeletons are still growing because osteosarcoma does occur occasionally in adolescence. These are drugs for older individuals with osteoporosis. And the decision as to which drug is best for a given patient is something between the doctor and the patient. So to summarize, we have a number of options which people can read about. They are generally very well tolerated. I want to go back and mention that with zoledronate, the intravenous, if an individual has never had one of the pill forms of the bisphosphonates and their first exposure is the intravenous zoledronate, there's a high likelihood of one day of what feels like flu after the first ever dose. This is not a problem in subsequent years. In my own practice, I generally try to start with one of the pills because if you take one of these pills, if you take one of the three bisphosphonates that are available in pill form, generally speaking, if you've done that for six or seven months and then you switch to the IV, you will not get this one-day flu-like episode, which is not flu, feels like flu, responds to 
Tylenol, and it gets better by itself. So in summary, again, these are well-tolerated overall. If they're used appropriately, they are remarkably safe. They are extremely effective at lowering the risk of fracture by very substantial amounts, somewhere between 30 and 70%, depending on the drug and the site of fracture. And they can save tremendous suffering and prevent a lot of misery and also save a lot of expense for the healthcare budget if they are appropriately used. People should not be afraid to utilize one of these drugs under the direction of a knowledgeable physician. Thank you very much. One thing I take away from that as a woman who's 56 is there's probably never a good time to have a disease like osteoporosis, but we have choices now with medicines. And when we meet with our doctors and consult our doctors and talk about making a plan for healthy aging, if we do have osteoporosis, there are lots of different choices that meet individual and lifestyle needs. Thank you so much for giving us an overview of that. I'd also want listeners to know that it's a lot of information, and we've also characterized some of that information on our website at www.nof.org for those people who like a little more information and are ready to read and really dig into some of and learn more about what you just shared. I'd like to just comment that over the years, you know, I've been working in this field since the early 90s, and I can remember the era when we really did not have much we could offer, and people would suffer terribly. These drugs, and we've our research has shown this to be the case, when these drugs are taken, and when they're taken correctly, there is no question that fractures go down. There are fewer fractures, a lot fewer fractures in the real world when people take these drugs and take them appropriately. And as a physician, it's incredibly gratifying for me to believe that I'm able to help people. And I'm so grateful that over the years, the science that's developed these drugs has evolved to the point where we have highly effective and remarkably safe agents we can offer people. And as a patient, that's also really wonderful to hear from an expert that you're confident in the choices that we have now and how really a reflection in how far the field has come. One of the things that, of course, we all are thinking about is what does healthy aging look like? What are some best strategies for postmenopausal women as they think about creating their plan to live their best life? Well, in terms of their skeletal health, the first thing that people should be doing, women women in particular, but even older men, is you need to have a bone density test done at some point. A bone density test is a totally painless, easy 15-minute procedure where you lie fully clothed on the table and a scanning arm scans over your spine and over your hip. And in some places, we also like to do the forearm. It gives very useful information as to whether your current bone quantity, and that's what it really is, is gauging, is how much bone you've got, is in a normal range, is lower than normal, or is low enough that we feel that you have something that we're going to call osteoporosis based upon the measured density, you know, giving you a sense of what your fracture risk is. 
most women don't have to do this test necessarily until they're 65. But if you have risk factors for future fractures, and these are many different conditions, medical conditions, a variety of medications, family history, etc., it's not unreasonable to do it before age 65, but after the menopause. Once you become menopausal at age 52, 53, or if you have an earlier menopause and you want to do it sooner, you can if you have other risk factors. The bone density gives you very good information about where you are. Your doctor then has to check out certain laboratory tests, take a medical history to see if there's something else going on. Could you be vitamin D deficient? Have you had to take too much prednisone for some other medical condition, etc. And once you've done a bone density and you've determined where you are, if you're at high risk for fracture, medication is very, very appropriate. The second component of not fracturing as you age is making sure that you are not calcium deficient or vitamin D deficient. The reason we recommend adequate calcium and D to our patients, and this would be true whether you've got low bone mass or osteoporosis or even normal bone density, is that you don't want to be calcium or vitamin D deficient or both. Because if that's your problem, it just makes the bone loss associated with being a menopausal woman or an older man even worse. And we can get rid of that risk factor, deficiency of calcium and or D or both, by simply getting enough. And there are ways to determine how to get enough, not extra, but enough. Other risk factors include things like being a smoker, being someone who drinks more than three alcoholic drinks every day. Those are also risk factors that you can eliminate as part of your lifestyle. Now, the third thing you want to do to tr prevent broken bones, especially if you've got weaker bones than you should have beyond just the you know medication and calcium and D sufficiency is very simply phrased as don't fall. Now that sounds, you know, great. Okay, everybody laughs when I say don't fall. But don't fall is a function of two things. Number one, exercise really makes a difference. Exercise in an older individual is not going to build bone, but what it is going to do is preserve muscle improve strength in the muscles, improve balance, so that if you're walking down the street and you stumble, instead of hitting the ground hard, where maybe you would break a bone, you may be able to right yourself. You may be able to avoid a fall. So being physically fit is a very big part of not falling. And that's its main role for purposes of bone health. Clearly, if you're in traction for a year, you could lose bone. But most of us are not, and most of us are simply walking about, and we want to boost our exercise level to improve our muscle strength as part of the not falling concept. The second aspect of not falling is paying attention, is not being in too much of a hurry, is not trying to run across the street before the light changes, wait for it to change back again, and then walk across the street. Use banisters when you go up and down steps and walk, don't run. You don't have to slow down. You just shouldn't speed up unnecessarily, particularly as you get older and older. Make sure you can see where you're going. Make sure that if you're sleepy, you're careful as how you move. And obviously, don't go into a dark room. Turn on the light because all kinds of hazards are there waiting to trip you up. Not every fall breaks a bone. But if you don't fall, boy, are you way ahead of the game. So, in terms of bone health, if you have a concern about 
whether you're at risk for fractures, get a bone density test, get appropriate workup, get vitamin D and calcium in the normal adequate amounts, do everything you can to prevent falling by being healthy and by exercising. And finally, if medication is appropriate for you, take it without fear, as long as you know that the person prescribing it for you understands the duration of therapy, whether you can do a holiday after a course of treatment or not, how to use these drugs appropriately. And for the overwhelming majority of people, these drugs will do a great deal of good and really are remarkably well tolerated and safe. Thank you. Thinking about being a proactive person, if my doctor doesn't prescribe a bone density test at age 65, how do I get one? Generally, you do have to have a prescription. If your internist doesn't uh, recommend it and you're, you're a woman, your gynecologist may well recommend it. It's part of an awful lot of medical guidelines in this country recommending to physicians that their patients have this test. So you really ought to be able to uh, convince your physician that this is good medical practice. Many doctors won't recommend it if you're 40 and you're still making estrogen, you're still having menstrual periods. Because in that setting, it's not as helpful, unless, of course, you've recently broken bones. But if you haven't had a bone density test by 65, you need one. If you have risk factors for fracture because of the meds you take or for other medical conditions or because of other medical conditions that may predispose to bone loss, or most importantly, if you're over 50 and you've already had a fracture, I can't overemphasize that if you've had a fracture after 50, you need a bone density test. If the fracture was due to a simple fall, and it's not a finger fracture or toe fracture, it's a fracture of your elbow, your wrist, your shoulder, your pelvis, a vertebra, God forbid, a hip, you need a bone density test to make sure that you're not missing uh, osteoporosis. If you're in a car accident and you break bones, you still should have a bone density test because it's possible that it really was the severity of the trauma that broke your normal bones. But if you do have osteoporosis, you're really going to break bones in a, in a car accident. So any woman after 50 who breaks a bone with either minimal trauma or even more trauma needs the test to sort out what your future risk of fracture is. Once you have a fracture, your risk of more fractures is elevated. And that should be a tip-off that you definitely need the test. So hopefully you can convince your doctor and you can go to the NOF website read about bone density testing, print it out, show it to the doctor. And my own feeling is that if your internist or GYN doctor won't get you the test when you clearly are in a category for which it's recommended, I don't know, I might suggest getting a second opinion from another doctor. <laughs> Thank you. And just as a reminder, of course, you highlighted this, it is part of Welcome to Medicare, the prevention package. So we are entitled to it when we turn 65. And then for younger than that, come with special categories of people. And thank you for reminding us about the importance that if we fractured for any reason, a car accident, falling off a ladder, stepping off a curb, that we really do need to be checked at any age for osteoporosis. Would you say a little bit more about how we need to be proactive in monitoring our vitamin D and calcium levels as well? 
you know, there's been so much confusion about vitamin D and calcium that I can understand why people feel puzzled. The various public health agencies have said that for the average healthy person, you can get your calcium from your diet, which is from, you know, primarily from dairy foods, and you can get vitamin D from sunshine. But if you're an older individual and you're at risk for fractures and you've been told you have osteoporosis, you have to go way beyond just, well, yogurt once a day, and that's probably enough for me. Your physician can take a quick dietary history on you. And if you're not getting three good servings of calcium a day from dairy foods, because that's where the bulk of the calcium comes from. It's true you can get it from things like broccoli, but you have to eat a mountain of broccoli. And not everybody <laughs> does that every day. With, with dairy foods, eight ounces of milk, six ounces of yogurt, couple of ounces of cheeses will give you about 300 milligrams per serving. So if you really do have three servings of dairy a day, I don't mean a splash of milk in your coffee. I mean a glass of milk in your cereal. If you get that, that's often enough. As far as vitamin D is concerned, that's a problem because it's not in most foods. It is in milk, but very little is in milk. It's 100 units in a glass of milk, and that's just not very much vitamin D. So when someone has bone issues, we usually advise that they get a blood test to measure the vitamin D level. And if the vitamin D level is below where it should be, it's easy to take an inexpensive, well-tolerated vitamin D supplement to get you into the proper range in your blood for your vitamin D level. As far as calcium is concerned, if you're not getting three servings of dairy a day, it's very easy to supplement whatever you are getting with a small quantity of calcium in pill form. Again, you don't need a tremendous amount in pill form, and your doctor can figure out whether you need one pill a day or a couple of pills a day. And there are several different calcium preparations that are available. We like either calcium carbonate or calcium citrate as the favored calciums because of their absorption. You have to know which ones have to be taken with food and which ones don't have to be taken with food. It's All of this has to be considered. But together with your doctor, who can do various blood tests, it's pretty easy to figure out roughly what you need. And again, the goal is to get enough, not extra. Calcium and D don't by themselves prevent fractures. Nobody ever said they did, but they are part of the overall package. The drugs which do prevent fractures are going to work a lot better if your calcium and D sufficient, and that's your goal. Great. And I think a lot of people my age, we want to do everything that's in the package. We want to exercise. We want to take appropriate supplements. And of course, if we need to, we want to take the medications that will help us as well. So thank you for walking us through all of those options, the importance of the sequence of the options, and really helping us with those advocate questions, those self-advocate questions when we're visiting with our doctors and understanding they're very busy, but we have to raise some of these issues as we move through different parts of our lives. So thank you. And You're speaking welcome. of different parts of our lives, most of us are mothers, grandmothers, aunties, we have another generation that we're worried about, that we're concerned about and interested about. How do we talk to them about osteoporosis and get them on a lifelong healthy bone journey? When, when kids are growing up, 
if they're generally in pretty good health, they're going to build their skeletons based upon their genetic predisposition. You're going to achieve a certain quantity of bone by the time you are in your late 20s, early 30s, primarily based on genetics. But you want to be living a healthy lifestyle. You want to avoid cigarettes. You want to make sure that you're physically active. As you grow, if you're physically active, you have a much better shot at achieving your genetically predetermined complete bone mass. So you want to get every bit of bone growth that you can during the growing years. Your bones grow in length from the time you're born until you finish puberty in your late teens. And then between the late teens and about age 30, they kind of thicken up. Between 30 and about 50, when there's estrogen in your body, if you're a woman, you will mostly maintain the amount of bone that you were able to build during the growth years. And it's only after your estrogen levels dip to almost nothing at menopause that you start to lose bone. So during the years of growth, you want to lead a clean lifestyle. Obviously, the people at the highest risk of getting into trouble as children are kids who develop problems with eating disorders in their teenage years, kids who get into too much difficulty with alcohol or tobacco. You want your kids to have the healthiest possible lifestyle during the years of growth. During the years after between 30 and 50, your bones are going to behave as long as your body is making estrogen and as long as you're getting adequate calcium and D. And again, it's with kids and with adults, you want to make sure that your diets contain calcium-rich foods so that you don't have calcium deficiency. And then as you get older, you have to think more about, I'm now in a phase after menopause where I might lose bone. So whether it's your mother who's had fractures or you're the grandmother and you fractured and you're worried about your daughter, if you're worried about your daughter who is now 47 and maybe stopping menstruating, you might say to her, I have osteoporosis at age 75. Maybe you should get a bone density when you're 50. Of course, you should have your bone density yourself when you're 75 for sure. And as far as your kids are concerned, it's really a matter of just encouraging these healthy lifestyle concepts to be aware that it's pretty important to take care of your skeleton because if you don't take care of it during the years of growth and during the middle adult years, you are more susceptible to get into trouble as you get a lot older. So from, a, from the beginning to the end of life, we have to think about our bones. It's never too early and it's never too late. You can be in your 90s, and if you've got osteoporosis, and a lot of people do by the time they get to be 90, there's still time to do something to minimize the risk as best we can of breaking bones. That leaves me feeling so uplifted, Dr. Cyrus, and really empowered. So thank you for that positive, directed message about it's never too late, and today's always a new day to start good, healthy habits, if we hadn't before. We have time for one last question. What's the most important thing that our listeners should take home today about osteoporosis? I guess I would say that, number one, it's a common problem. And if you're a postmenopausal woman, particularly if you're in your 60s or greater, you need to find out if you have it or not. If you do, it means you're at an increased risk of fractures. And the good news is, there is so much we can do to lower that risk by following the guidance that I've talked about. Medication is appropriate with drugs that are good and effective and overwhelmingly, and most people have taken correctly, pretty darn safe. By getting adequate calcium and vitamin D, which is easy and inexpensive, and by doing everything you can to avoid falling. 
The medications today, many of them are generic. They're not expensive. There is just a lot you can do. Don't fall prey to fear-mongering. Take charge. This is a manageable problem. We can do a lot to help prevent fractures. If you've already had one, you know it's not pleasant, and you really want to prevent the next one, and there's a lot you can do to accomplish that. So take charge. Act. You, you can make a difference in your own life by doing that. You have given women and men who are listening so much to think about in terms of their own personal health, bone health action plan. Thank you. This has just been a wealth of information. We're thankful, Dr. Cyrus, for your knowledge, your leadership, and your passion. I, I'm speaking for myself, but I know as you're listening today, you're hearing it too. Uh, helping us understand more about osteoporosis and really the personal place we can get involved in terms of our own bone health and ensuring strong skeletons so we can have the dynamic, healthy aging we're envisioning. I really encourage you to become educated and to act. Take charge, as Dr. Cyrus said. There's a wealth of information on the National Osteoporosis Foundation website, and that's nof.org. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us, and tune in next time. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.